The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I want to say it's a blessing and an absolute joy to be back here on the campus of Pensacola Christian College. Good to see all of you students. I'm looking forward to the next couple of days we'll have together and trusting the Lord will use something I say through the preaching of his word to be a help and encouragement to you. Now, this is the beginning of your new semester. We were just now, as I've learned, you're in, going now into your third week and you've had Greek rush, all of that. I'm happy for you. That was always wonderful times as a student here. And uh, I've always enjoyed that. But uh, you're getting a brand new start. This is what we call a new beginning when you come to a new semester. And I want to just be a blessing and a help to you to challenge you, you with something that you might uh, need to rethink. Because if you're not careful, what I'm about to share with you can so easily happen to you. It's called getting used to things. And just keep that in mind as we come to the passage. Would you look at, please, chapter 13, verse 53. In the book of Matthew, we read this story, and it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He did not emphasize the not. He did not many works, mighty they would be, But no way. Why? Because of their unbelief. Some of the saddest words you'll read in all of Scripture. It's one of the only two times you'll find where Jesus was kind of taken back by the whole incident. If you look at Mark's account in chapter 6, it actually says that he marveled. He marveled at their unbelief. We'll notice it a little bit later in our text, but... He was just kind of taken back. Here he is in his own hometown, familiar surroundings, people he knew, people he probably could name, people he worked with, people that he probably uh, went to the synagogue with, heard the word of God preached, 
All of this was, uh, was his own familiar surroundings, yet here's the place where the Son of God grew up. You'd think if Jesus was going to do a miracle, if he was really going to help some people in this world, would it not be upon him, his own heart and interest, to help those whom he grew up with? I imagine as my heart has affection here in a place like this, this is where God did a great work in my life. This is where I met my wife, and now we've been married these 31 years. This is a special place. If I ever wanted God to work in America, I have to tell you, I would want to pray for Pensacola Christian College as what it meant to me. I want God to do something great for you. Why? Because my affections lie here, naturally. So it is, if you would, please consider this, that here is Jesus. And if there was ever a place that should have his affections, if there was ever a place where he anticipates doing great and mighty works, would it not be his hometown? Would it not be the people that he loved and grew up with? Yet he could not because of their deep, deep sin, because of their atheistic ways because they were a people steeped in an anti-God belief? No, no. Not of anything of the sort. Just so familiar with him they chose not to believe. I wonder what he might have done. I wonder what he had in mind. I wonder if there were blind people there and people that needed to be healed. In fact, we learn in Mark's account that he did heal some. I wonder if the lame and the deaf were all there, yet untouched. The potential, untouched. The change, never realized. Why? Because of the sin of unbelief. God's power and blessings were held off. They were limited oh, because of some home folks that stuck in their old ways, unbelief, and they doubted Jesus. You say, preacher, why this message? I wonder what God has in store for you this semester. What does he have in store for you? Think about, is he not the God who has everything you need? His provisions are limitless. He is the God who answers prayer. He's just a prayer away for whatever you're going through. Is he not the God who can do great and mighty things that we don't even realize, but yet he has it for us? Is he not the one who wants to reveal himself to us? Remember Paul who said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You take the most powerful effect ever known on the face of the earth, and that is the resurrection of the dead. We can know this kind of resurrection power in knowing Christ. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you in a fresh, wonderful, powerful way. He has it all in store. In fact, whatever you're struggling with, he's the answer. He has the power to help you overcome the sin in which we all battle with day in and day out. God's the answer for that. He has a victory for you. But oh, could it be he cannot get past our low expectations? 
Could it be that he can't overcome and cannot work among us because of our cold spirituality? This apathy, boy, I see it too much. Drives me nuts. Apathy. It's a, it's a kind of a dead look. I see it all the time. I preach to young people and I often see that in their faces. I preach to older people and I didn't mean to look at you when I said older people. But anyway, I preach to older people and I see the same look in their eyes. It's like a deadpan, let's get through this. I've got things to do. I know you have a Bible and you're preaching about God. And I preach to them and there's no expectation. There's no belief. There's no anticipation of what God has in store. You know something? When you come to chapel, you ought to come with a, with a bucket, you know, a, a something that will contain and hold as we would sing the song, fill my cup, Lord, fill it up. I lift it up to you. We don't even bring a thimble. We just don't have any expectation of anything great. And this apathy just kind of takes over in a humdrum, no big deal, moment of duh. And it's just sad when you think about the fact that we're preaching about the King of heaven, the God of all glory. Yet we've locked him up like these people did with, a, with a, an interest that is just, I mean, found the bottom. Think of the church of Laodicea. Out of the seven churches, they got the most scathing report. And what was it they were guilty of? They were rich and increased with goods, and here's the sad part, had need of nothing. They didn't come to church needing anything. They didn't come to chapel without anything, any expectation, nothing in mind. But I want to tell you something, we serve a God who has the power, has the answer, has the deliverance, has everything we could ever imagine needing. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God says, try me and I'll blow your mind. I'll do something you never imagined. Well, what's the problem? Our expectations are down in the basement. We have the fatalistic view of life that things will always continue. It'll just be the same old, same old. And the problem with Jesus' hometown is that they locked him in a view that they had him figured out. They had him in their little box. Watch this now. They had him in their little box of familiarity. They knew who he was. They knew who his mom and dad were. They had him in this little box. He's nothing more than just a carpenter's son. And so the work of God never happened as it could have. I want you to look at verse 58, those last two words, their unbelief. Their unbelief. He did not many mighty works there. Now he did mighty works other places, but not there. Why? Their unbelief. I want to preach on that. Their unbelief. May it not be yours. Their unbelief, they're limiting God, they're giving up on prayer, they're falling asleep when God wants to do something great. And because of their need of nothing, their unbelief left them just reading the headlines of what great things were happening in other places. May it not be yours. May God help us. I want to start with this idea, and that is faith. 
Is not faith pretty amazing? We sing about it a lot. You know, faith is the victory. What do we mean by that? Well, faith is the channel. It's like the key that unlocks the amazing power and favor of God. You will not have God's favor and his blessings. You don't even have the chance of pleasing him without faith. Faith is the key. But without faith, it's impossible to please him, Hebrews eleven six. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Listen, faith is seen in a man who seeks God. He falls down on his knees. She looks to the Lord in a place of prayer, and they believe that God is who he says he is. And God says, that's how you please me. It's the key of seeing great things. Everything you know and enjoy about God. Can I tell you something? It all started by faith. You think about that. It all started with the day you said, yes, I'll take him at his word. You heard the gospel preach. You realized you were lost without Christ. And in that moment, that moment of decision, you stood between you know, your sin and God. You stood between uh, your, your failures and, and a hope of heaven. And, and you were there and the devil was trying his best to keep you back. He lied to you about everything in your life. And here comes a moment you heard the truth. And when you heard that truth, you had a decision. And was it not faith taking hold of the word? Was it not saying yes to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And when you said yes, when you expressed that faith, folks, turn the key, the jail cell door opened up, and you know what you did? You didn't stay there and say, well, you know, I kind of like it here. No, the door is open. And you stepped forward by faith, and God changed your life. Everything became brand new when you said yes to God in that early moment of faith. Kind of reminds me of the time I bought my kids their first dog. I got him at a dog pound. I heard you could do that. You could go to a dog pound, take the money, and buy a dog. So I didn't know what to get. I didn't do any research. I just knew my daddy did that when we were growing up, so I'm going to do it. I went to the dog pound. I had money in my hands, and they took me down this hallway where all this barking was going on. There was these little dogs behind the chain link little doors, and and they're just kind of, it's like dog prison, you know? And they're all in there just kind of looking. They have no great future. And I looked in there and I saw this beagle. You know, Charlie Brown had Snoopy. So a beagle, that makes a great pet, surely. Found out they're not a pet to have in the house. You have to do a lot of scrubbing and cleaning if you bring him in the house. Not good, won't go there. But I got him and I called him Bones. His name was Bones. I had three little ones at home waiting to bring Bones. We had talked about, well, we're going to name our new dog. Let's name him Bones. And I took Bones home. Why? I wanted to make him my pet. I wanted to bring him into a warm home. I wanted to feed him every day. I wanted to for Bones to give him three lovely children that would, well, they terrorized him. But anyway, I wanted to have three little kids that would just make him their dog. And here's Bones who don't have any expectation. Somebody walks up, takes the money, hands it to hand. They open the door and I say, come with me, Bones, let's go. I have a home, I have a whole new life awaiting for you. Hey, that's what Jesus did for you. When he paid sin's price by his own precious blood, he got you out of the cell door of sin and brought you home to him and to a brand new life. I feel like preaching. 
I'm telling you, God has been good to you. And when did it all happen? When you started that first step by taking him at his word. It was faith that opened up to you a brand new life. But I'm going to say this. Please don't you miss as I may end it right here and we go from here. Listen to me, please. What started by faith, don't end it with unbelief. The same amazing life that God has given you that all started by faith, it continues by faith. Paul even argued that in Galatians chapter 3. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to be made perfect by the flesh? Galatians chapter 3 verse 2. He says, God has done this great work for you. Are you going to limit God by going back to your old ways and trying to figure out God out and do your own thing? No. If you've begun in the Spirit, don't go back to the flesh. Don't go back to your old ways. Don't go back into neutral. Stay in it. By faith. Stay in it. By faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know that verse. It had a great verse. You didn't have to work for it. You didn't have to tell God promises that, that you're going to really, really hang in there, and, and you were worthy to be saved. You had something to offer God. Nope, you did not. What did you have? Nothing. Just a sinner, condemned, unclean, no hope, no future. You were just like bones. But for by grace are you safe through faith. Faith opened up that door. You know what's amazing about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? This is interesting. I backed up one verse. We always memorize Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Even verse 10 gets thrown in there. We're a workmanship created in Christ Jesus. It's all good stuff. But you got to back up to verse 7. Would you turn there and look at it with me, please? I think it will be worth it. Go to, to uh, if you would, Ephesians chapter 2. And notice with me this tremendous verse. It says here in chapter 2, Again, verse 8 and 9, many of you have that memorized, but could I ask you to look at verse 7? It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Now watch this next phrase. In his kindness toward us. <laughs> When God saved you, you know, you know what he was saying? I got a plan. I'm going to save this one. And here's what I'm going to do. For the rest of time, the rest of their life, and on into eternity, forever and ever and ever, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not only going to take them to heaven, but I'm going to take eternity, and I'm going to keep blessing them and keep honoring them and keep leading them and keep loving them and just keep on keeping on showing them my kindness. Every day you wake up, can I remind you the compassions of the Lord fail not? I know you fail him, but his kindness does not fail you. I know we come short. We cannot match his glory. Oh, but his love is everlasting. 
He's not giving up on you. No wonder Paul could say being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He says from now on, I've got this. I've got your back. I'm going to be there for you. And listen, it's not out of pressure. It's not out of, of, of manipulation. It's not out of, you know, if, you, if you're good, I won't hurt you or I won't punish you. No, no, it's none of that coercion. You know what? It's out of kindness. God wants to bless you because he's full of kindness toward you. In other words, it's like God looks at you and he just smiles. He's got that yes face. He just smiles at you. I'm not trying to give you a feel-good message. I'm trying to tell you the purpose of God. I'm trying to tell you what you're walking away from when you're down and your head's bowed low and you've stopped believing God. You look up to God, you'll see a smile on his face and he wants to do something for you. Don't limit him by making him just plain O, plain O. We've heard it before. We've gotten used to it. He's just the carpenter's son. No, he's the God of heaven. He smiles on you. And when you start this new semester, I've got news for you. He wants to bless you and take you. But what he needs from you is not great performance and not tremendous, you know, uh, 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 held promises that you're never going to let him down. Listen, you're going to fail him. But I promise you this, if you'll take him at his word and say, Lord, here's my life. Whatever you want, whatever you have in store this semester, I choose to believe you. I look in the mirror, I have plenty to be discouraged about. But when I look into God's word, I find a God who wants to express to me his kindness. And he wants to do great, mighty things in my life. And he's given me his word, he's given me his spirit. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And what's the devil doing? The devil is trying to tell you constantly, he's holding out on you. He's not to be trusted. Don't believe him. I say believe him. Because it's the sin of unbelief that will limit the almighty power of God in your life. Things he wants to do in and through your life. I wonder this. I wonder this. I'm going to close with this. But I wonder, who in here will believe God enough to say, Lord, help me this semester to lead someone to Christ? You say, preacher, I couldn't do that. Neither could I. But you can if you believe God. I had a man in my church. His name is Andy. Andy grew up in a missionary home, but really wasn't interested in all that his dad did. Several years ago, because of age and, and, and natural uh, of, of illnesses, he went home to be with the Lord. This missionary did. Well, Andy got to thinking about his daddy. Andy's a man that works for the fire department. Man in my church, faithful to church. But he's not on church staff. He's not a called preacher, but he got burdened and said, Lord, I think about my daddy and all those people he led to Christ. I've not led one person to you. And here's what he prayed at the beginning of 2023. He said, Lord, may this be the year that I'll lead somebody to Jesus. In faith, he trusted God. It wasn't long after that. I mean, right after that, he prayed that. A man that bought a Jeep from him 
One of his jeeping buddies, they have these jeeps that they build and they climb over rocks and they get thrills by hanging over cliffs and climbing, you know, boulders. And they got this jeep club. There's a bunch of fellas in that. Some guys in my church love it. Well, he got in there and started talking to this man and this man immediately came up to him and said, I need to get my life right. The man that bought the Jeep from him. And Andy is so taken by this. He's like, really? Because he knew what God was doing. He knew God was answering prayer. And so what he did, he invited him to church. Well, this guy's pretty rough, you know. I mean, his background, no church to be found. Tattoos, ponytail, big, big rings right here that hang. I mean, he doesn't look like your typical Baptist. And he comes to church bringing his wife and his autistic son. I have an autistic son. We hit it off immediately. He sits there in church and he just takes it all in. He comes back on a Wednesday night. Someone got word to me. He's asking questions. He's asking questions. We knew God was working in his life. He had his wife and his son there. After a Wednesday night church service, I walked up to him and I said, Hey, Chris. What did you think about the sermon? I didn't know what kind of response I would get. He said, oh man, I loved it. I said, but do you want to talk? I need to talk. I knew what was on his heart. God had been working in him. I took him back. We sat down in the Sunday school room. Within minutes, he's given his life to Jesus Christ. His wife's sitting beside him just bawling. And I looked at her, I said, I said, do you need to be saved, Sarah? Do you need to be saved too? She goes, no, I got saved when I was 14, but I ran away from God. I said, well, why don't you just pray right now, rededicate your life and just come home to God. She says, I will. Boy, she got down, you're talking about praying. She knew how to pray. And she got right with God. It was holy ground in that place. I want to tell you something. They've been coming now. They're part of our discipleship ministry. They're growing in Christ. He was at church yesterday. That happened months ago. And I go all the way back. How is it we saw such a miracle? Here's a first-generation Christian, a wife who's back in church. Where did it all come from? Somebody who believed God enough to say, Lord, would you use me to bring somebody to Jesus? And in that simple act of faith, God did this mighty work. I went to Andy. I said, Andy, this is all because of you. You realize it. He said, preacher, I know. I'm so excited. He said, I'll get us another one and you get them to Christ. He said, I'll bring them. You, you, you save them. I said, well, you know, God will save them. But something like that. He said, I'll bring them. You get them saved. That's how he said it. I said, that sounds good. I want to tell you something. Who in here needs to believe God again for somebody to get saved? God could use you. Oh, will you say, no, Lord. I'm okay. I've got this. And God does not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. May it not be yours. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.